Lord Jesus, our hope is built on you and nothing less than in your blood and your righteousness. And as we're going to talk today, it is so easy to trust in other things, but we dare not trust in those other things, but we want to wholly trust in your name. So when darkness seems to hide your face, Lord, help us to rest on your unchanging grace. When we encounter every high and stormy gale, help us to rest steadfast in knowing that our anchor holds within the veil. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ashley, perfect song to end with. Okay. And we just had a little, we just had a little, talk about a stormy gale, we just had a flood back there that took out most of my notes, so <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. If you're new here, if it's your first time, we really want to welcome you to our family of people who follow Jesus that we call 12th Avenue. We're really glad to have you this morning. Um, excited about the missions conference that's coming up. Um, God, His heart is for the nations and to reach all nations. And if we are going to follow Jesus well, we have to also have His heart for the nations. So if this is, uh, if this is new for you, the whole um, missions thing, then I really encourage you to be here full force. Be here Saturday night and come hear our speaker. Somebody that was in Mongolia for years. I mean, how, how crazy is that? Um, here's how exciting to me it is that he's come and he's been in Mongolia. We have never had an international student come to Emporia State from Mongolia till this fall. First time we've had somebody from Mongolia. And so I'm hoping to get those two connected next weekend while he's here. So I encourage you to be here. Um, and for the guys that put on the thing the other night, that was a great event. We had about 60 guys that showed up to that um, in our kind of the new missional green space. I mean, check this out. Patrick Mahomes himself came <laughs> after the injury. They flew him to Emporia. <laughs> but, I mean, it was a great event. Uh, and I just wanted you to know what, uh, what it felt like to all of us Bronco fans. Um, Is Gary here? Where's is Gary? There's Gary. Yeah, I texted that with him the other night, and he, he loved that too much. He loved that too much. So, uh, anyways, so we're continuing, speaking of idols, we're continuing our series on idolatry. Yeah, and talking about idols, is, where's Adam? Is Adam still back there? I don't know, but, like, who, Adam, who in the world, like, the only person that would create, like, look at this multi-layer thing. The only person that would do that would somebody who has a big idol problem with these wildcats. So, uh, I, I have to give Adam a hard time. So, continuing the series, and I, we're going to do kind of part two of what I started last week. And we talked about last week that the idols are the things that we love, trust, and obey. And last week we talked about they're the things that we love. Today I want to talk about... Um, the trust and obey. If you're in a small group, again, I want to encourage you to take notes because I'm going to be talking about this this week. Um, so the foundational passage for last week and this week is Isaiah 54, 5, which says, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all earth. So God is to be our husband, the one who is to have our supreme love and affection. 
He's to be our Lord, the one who deserves our ultimate allegiance and obedience, and He's to be our Savior, the one we look to um, for our ultimate security and salvation. So He's to be the one that we love, that we trust, and that we obey. And an idol is anything that we love, trust, and obey above all else, above all else. It's anything that captures my attention and my affections, becomes my primary source of assurance, gains my ultimate allegiance with the result that God no longer has preeminence in my life. And so this week I really want to focus on the idols that we trust and obey, but we're, we're really going to especially focus on this one. Um, so I'll talk briefly about the idols we obey, because in a couple of weeks we're going to kind of come back to that, touch on that again. Um, but the Bible does speak, I want to do the obedience first, the obey. The Bible does speak of, of idols using the metaphor of master and obedience. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, either he will... Uh, Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't have two masters in your life. So God is to be our Lord, the one who deserves our ultimate and absolute allegiance and obedience. And the idols that we obey are the things that, that make us our lives feel meaningful. They promise to reward us, reward our service to them by giving us the good life. Um, but what happens is, is as we seek those things for the good life, Christ begins to get pushed to the margins. God is pushed to the margins, and that other thing or other person takes over without you even being aware of it, and slowly that becomes more important to us to God, and it, it inevitably becomes our true master. It, it becomes the Lord of our life, because we've got to have a master. We're created to have a master. As Brad Bigney says, Jesus is the owner of our hearts and our lives, but we are prone to giving our hearts to squatters all the time. But God should be our only Lord and Master. We all know that. So we commit spiritual treason when we bow down to these other things as our masters, and we betray our true king. Let me just say one more thing about the idols we obey, and then I want to get to really the big one for me, which is what do we trust? Um, just whatever we love most. We talked last night about how we have these emotional affairs with our idols. Whatever we love most, we will inevitably worship. And what we worship, we will inevitably serve. We will begin to bow down to that thing and service to it. Um, and I want to tell you, an idol is never a good master. I think you all know this. It will control you and it will consume your life eventually. Your life begins to revolve around it to such a degree that it becomes an obsession, starts to hold an inordinate power over you, and it actually enslaves you. I think we've all found ourselves to where we're like in the middle of life, and then we're like, I feel like this thing is driving my life. I'm not in control anymore. I'm, I, I'm like, this is the thing that's my, my master, and I feel like a slave. I think we've all been there. That's why Rebecca Pippert wrote, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. Now, in a few weeks, I want to come back to that topic, that idea, and talk about the destructive results of bowing the knee to our idols, and that'll be the week after missions. But this week, I really want to focus, I want to focus on this one, on the, the things that we trust, um, and I want you to hang with me. I know 
by now, everybody's got idol fatigue, right? You're kind of tired of hearing about it. Um, you're, you're pretty worn out. You're like, what, another sermon on this? Like, oh my, how my, are we going to do this for a whole year or something? We're, we're getting towards the end. A couple things. Last week, we started making the shift to God. Did you feel the turn? Because our, we, this is really important to me because I think it's helped me to understand my heart. But the focus isn't on the idols. The focus has to be on God. So last week, we started to make the turn. We're going to continue to make the turn this week. And so we're making that movement towards God. So I want you to hang with me especially today, because this concept I want to talk about today, which are this, I'm going to, this phrase or these words, functional, a functional idol. For a long time, I heard it, and I never got it. I never understood it, and I would always kind of blow by the concept. And this summer, in a conversation with uh, my long-distance mentor, Scott Youngman, he always helps clarify things for me, talking to him, I finally got the concept. And it was way more important than I ever imagined, and it was so important that this late summer fall, I ran into something in my life, was going through the life ringer, so to speak, and this concept was so practical to me in that moment of my need. And so, again, don't let this thing be something that dominates you and obsesses you, that runs you down. That's not the point. It's to gain an awareness of how my heart functions with idols. As I gain that awareness, I can and understand what those things are then I can become free of them and focus on God. So this isn't meant to run us down. This is really meant to help us have a self-awareness. So um, this one I've had some practice with recently, and it was really helpful. So the idols we trust. Um, Psalm 27, 20, verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. God is to be our only Savior He's to be the only one we look to for ultimate security and deliverance. So the Bible speaks of idols also in these ideas of danger and rescue, of trust, reliance, deliverance, and salvation. God is our deliverer. I think we know that here, but a lot of times we don't know it here. He is the only true source of safety and security, but we are so tempted to turn to other things to save us. Do you know that? in life. Um, so easily, at least for me, I chase after other things, false saviors that I think will meet my need in a time of trouble. And I look to those things to provide me with a sense of security and confidence. Um, now, this is what I found so helpful, this bottom thing, that these idols that I turn to in times of need they're my functional idols, and they're the things that have my functional trust. And I hope by the time I get through this, you'll, you'll grasp that as much as I finally have kind of gotten the idea. Um, this week, I don't have a particular text we're going to focus on. We're going to be looking at the Psalms a lot. Um, but Israel did this quite a lot. They placed their trust in functional idols. When they were invaded by Assyria during the time of the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, who all wrote about this, by Assyria, rather than putting their trust in God's promised perfection, they looked to other things to protect them. First of all, they made a treaty with Egypt. They signed a treaty that Egypt would come and come up against Assyria and protect them. And when that failed, when that failed, then they made, when Assyria got down here to Lachish and just wiped that place out, and, and Egypt had no effect, then you can read it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Hezekiah 
after the, the, the treaty with Egypt failed, then they tore the gold and the silver out of the temple and gave it to, to the Assyrian king and said, please stop and go home. And he took all of that stuff, and they were trusting in that. They he took all that stuff, and then do you know what he did? He didn't care. He came against Jerusalem anyways. So Hezekiah was putting his functional trust, Israel, in Egypt and then um, to protect them against the invading army. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all talk about their trust in Egypt as an act of idolatry. They talk about it as an act of idolatry. In Isaiah 31, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 16, Hez Hosea, I could show you, is littered with verses that their trust in Egypt was to God idolatry. Now here's, so here's the question. Why did God call it idolatry when there were, literal, there were no literal statues, there were no objects that they were bowing down to and worshiping? Why did God call that idolatry? Well, it's because idols are more than literal statues. Remember, Paul says greed is idolatry, okay? Idolatry is more than bowing to a statue. God considered it idolatry because they were looking to Egypt's military might as their source of deliverance rather than looking to God, their only true deliverer. In Isaiah, I mean, here it is. I mean, look at the power. They even sent the dogs. Look at Egypt. They've got like dogs that are like tearing people up. This is like crazy. They were one of the big powers, and that's where they were placing their trust for deliverance. In Isaiah 31, here's what God says, "'Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. The Egyptians are mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit.'" Return, you Israelites, to the one you so greatly revolted against. And he goes on to call this idolatry. Again, the three major prophets, Hosea, all talk about this reliance on Egypt was idolatry. Egypt, with all of her warriors, her horses, her chariots, had become the functional idol of Israel. They were looking to them as their source of trust in a time of needed deliverance rather than looking to God, their only true Savior. So... Does that make sense? All right, so I want to I delve a little more because we do the same thing. Um, I mean, we're finite and limited. We don't, half the time, more than half the time, we don't live that way. We live thinking we're in control of our life, trying to keep control of our lives, especially those of us with that deep idol of control. Uh, and many times, many times, God will allow an unexpected storm to break into my life. And when he does that, it reminds me that I'm really not in control. And here's what, at least for me, probably not you guys, but for me, when a storm breaks into my life, I begin to look for an anchor to tie me down in that storm, something to tie up to in the midst of that storm, something that will give me a sense of safety, of stability, of security, something that will save or deliver me in that storm. In difficulties, whatever gets our primary trust other than God in a storm, it's our functional idol. It's the thing we truly trust and obey. It's the thing we run to in order to give us a sense of control. Now, so I want to take this idea of a storm and of a boat and of an anchor 
and make that kind of the image for the rest of us. And whenever we choose to anchor ourselves in the midst of storms, we're looking for two things, two things. First, we're looking for something to save us. Secondly, we're looking for something to soothe us. We're looking for a citadel. We're looking for a citadel. And we're looking for comfort. That's the two things we're looking for in our anchors. It can be the same idol providing both, but I think rarely it is the same. It was, I think of my own life. Most of my functional idols are, I mean, I, lo- I do love and care about them, but my functional idols are a little bit different. Um, but I want you to know this. Only God can do all of this for you. Only God can be an anchor in your life. Only He is a steady, sure, always there citadel. Only He is the provider of comfort. Only He can save and soothe. Only God is all-sufficient. Can I write this up here? Only God is all-sufficient to meet whatever need I have, and only God is all-satisfying. Only He is that. But we, like Israel, I think so often turn to other things to save and soothe us. And when we do that, those things become idols. So I want to look a little more at these two sides. Can I do that? I want to look at these two sides. So on that first side of the anchor are the idols we trust. We look to these idols to give us stability, security, safety, and time of need. Those are our citadels. They're where we run. They're the things that we situationally look to when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves in danger, when we have a problem, when we're afraid. They're the things that we look to, we run to, and we cling to those things so desperately to deliver us and save us. They're the things that we truly rely upon to save us, and that's why they're called functional gods. David Paulison, a really famous Christian counselor, says, something or someone besides Jesus has taken the title of your heart's functional trust when we run to something in time of need. It's taken that title of functional trust. On the second side of the anchor are the idols that we love. We look to these to soothe us and give us a sense of serenity in times of stress. There are comforters. These are the things that we emotionally, we emotionally look to when we find ourselves in stressful situations and we're afraid. We're in distress and we're in ter- inner turmoil. Does that make sense? They're the things that we look to emotionally. They're the things that we look to, that we run to, and we cling to in hopes that they will give us peace and inner stability. They're the things that we truly rely upon to settle us down in our inward spirits. And again, by doing so, they're functional gods for us. They're the things that we try to get by in life with, to function with. And these, these things promise us safety, and they promise us peace, if only we'll base our lives on them. They promise to be the answer for our search in times of trouble for something that's all-sufficient to fix my problem and something that's all-satisfying to bring me joy and peace. They're my God substitutes in times of trouble. Martin Luther said, Idolatry does not consist merely of erecting an image and praying to it, but it's primarily a matter of the heart which fixes its gaze upon other things 
and seeks help and consolation from them. Job knew about this, and he knew to put my, his functional trust in anything other than God was a betrayal. Listen to him. He said, for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you're my security, then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. And last week when we talked about the idols we love, we talked about the story of Hosea and Gomer. You remember the story? And I asked the question, can you imagine how Hosea felt when his wife ran off and betrayed him, not only took up with other lovers, but eventually became a prostitute? Can you imagine the grief that that felt? And how, when Israel did that to God. I could have quoted, there's a verse in Jeremiah, I don't remember it right now, where he talks about when they abandoned him for idols, he's grieved. Okay? And then we talked about last week how I grieve his heart when I do that. How many, I mean, this point would be any parent. How many dads are here? How many fathers are here? And for a dad, you know, how many times have you you've been talking to a child and they don't know the situation, there's something maybe troubling them and they, ha- they don't know what's going on, they don't know where it's going, but you have a sense of where it's going, right? You have a better sense because you're older than they are and hopefully more mature, hopefully. And you'll say to them, I used to say this to my kids quite a lot, just trust me. Because I knew, and I was maybe even moving that situation somewhere, and I'd just say, just trust me. Just trust me. Isn't that what God says to us all the time? Just trust me. And as a father, how does it feel when your kids don't trust you, and they, by their behavior, essentially say, I don't believe you, and I don't believe you know what's going on, and I don't believe you can take care of me? It kind of hurts, right? And I think it's that way with with God as our Father, not only as our Master, but as our Father. Okay, now, we'll look at this in a few more weeks in detail, but the problem with the idols that we seek for comfort and the idols we trust as our citadel is they'll let you down. They will eventually fail you because we are looking for deliverance in something that was never meant to be our Savior, never meant to be our Savior. They may work sometimes, but I think you guys all know this. They don't work every time, right? They may work at the beginning, but they don't work the whole time. They can never deliver us consistently and with certitude. They can never comfort us long term. But we turn to them again and again and again in times of trouble, don't we? Even though we know that they don't work. 1 Samuel 12, 21. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you. In Psalm 37, 17, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. It's a vain hope. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. Anything outside of God is fragile and it's flimsy. It is flawed. It is fickle. It is fleeting and it's finite. It cannot deliver you, guaranteed every time. And that's why the Old Testament is full of warnings not to place our primary functional trust in things outside of God to be our anchor. Okay, so does all that make sense? Two things we tend to run to in trouble. We run to things to be our citadel, to get me out of it. And we run things to be our comfort, to calm me down in the midst of the turmoil. And whatever that is, is my anchor. 
That's my anchor. So I want to start moving to getting a little more practical with this. Uh, astronaut John Swigert on Apollo 13, when he had a problem, he said, Houston, we have a problem. Great movie, by the way. Your functional idol is the thing when you get into trouble, you immediately, you call it up, you run to it, whatever, and you say, I've got a problem. So that's the question, is what do you run to? What do I run to? When I find myself in trouble, how do I complete that sentence? What are the horses I trust in? What is my Egypt? What citadels do I run to? Where do I tend to go when I'm in danger? And where do I go when I'm in distress? Where do I go for comfort? What are my primary sources of help? In reality, not, not oh God, not, not intellectually, but in reality, functionally, to whom or what do I run to first? Um, this week's reflection questions are meant to help in identifying that. Um, the first set are really about the gods we obey, and they're asking you questions about, is there anything that's controlling your life in a way that it's creating unhealth in other parts of your life, that kind of thing. But the, the second set on what you trust are great questions. Jordan actually helps me almost every week with this and helped me really hone these down to some really good questions about where do I go for comfort, that side of the anchor. I mean, where do I go for, what's my citadel? Where do I run for help first, primarily outside of God? Where do I go for comfort first and primarily outside of God? So I hope you will use those um, to help answer that question. Do you want to know what I run to first? Dare I, dare I say? Um, my first reaction as a guy, maybe it's as a human, I don't know, is to turn inward in here. Probably Pat knows when there's a functional idol work. I turn in here to figure it out myself my first step. That's my gut reaction. Go in here to me, not to God. I run to my internal man cave, and I didn't have time to put these in. I had some awesome pictures of man caves. There are these amazing man caves you would not believe that people have created. So I have this invisible man cave in my head that I run to with comfy chairs and whatever. And what I do in there is I develop my own strategies and my own solutions to how I'm going to fix it. And sometimes that involves other things that I trust, people or things that over time I've learned. And so what I'll do is I'll figure out who are those people, what are those things, and I start casting out lines from my boat, hoping to anchor myself to something or someone to bail me out in this powerless situation. That's what I do. And like I said, frequently I turn to things that I've turned to in the past, things that I think won't let me down, even though a lot of times they never solve my problem. And you guys are all probably different than me, but that's true of me. I so easily depend on my own self first. You know that God of me we talked about in the third week, that Genesis 3? I turn to myself, and then in my own knowledge, I turn to the things I think can functionally rescue me. And Israel did this. Hosea 10.13 says, you've depended on your own strength. 
and on your many warriors. And man, I do that all the time. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Garen, get out of your man cave. In all of your ways, acknowledge me and I'll direct your paths. But I do that so easily, trust in my own understanding. So the truth of the matter that we all know, I think here, right, is that God and God alone is my true deliverer. Only He is my true deliverer. He's my anchor. Hebrews 6, 18 to 19. Talking about salvation in general, but we just sang about it. But still this concept, to take hold of the hope that's offered us because we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure, that God is the only true anchor. Did you notice, by the way, I changed the color on the anchor just a little, like a little. Did anybody see that? Like, little subtle thing. So, yeah, it's not subtle anymore that I said it, but look at uh, this thing that God is my anchor. Psalm 44, 6 to 7, I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory. Psalm 37, 39, the salvation of the righteous comes from where? comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. And only He is all-sufficient and all-satisfying. Psalm 18, 1-2, the Lord is my rock, my citadel, my what? My fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. How about my citadel? I mean my comfort. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. God is the only true anchor. He's the only true anchor. My God is my citadel when I'm in danger, my comfort when I'm in distress. Look at these psalms, Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Psalm 86, 7. When I am in, what? Distress, I call to you because you answer me. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is the only true citadel, the only two true comfort, the only one to go to in danger, the only one in times of distress. And I think we all desire to live that way, don't we? Don't we like all, we want to live that way? We're like, man, I wish I lived that way. I wish this thing that's in my head, I wish it would come into my heart and functionally into my life. I'm, I'm like that, like desiring to live that way. So how? And I want to talk for a minute about how. I think the simple answer is the gospel response, which is the, the response of, the gospel response is a response to everything in my life. Jesus called to repent and believe, to turn away from something and turn towards, to repent of that functional idol and to believe in God, to put my trust in Him. Um, so we first, by, we first ask, what do I need to repent of? Through prayerful reflection, we ask, and I've been doing this for several months, for God to reveal to me what I tend to run to first in times of danger and distress. The gods that I trust and that I love, that I look to to be my citadel and my comfort. And, you know, I asked, I asked these a minute ago, but I asked those questions. What am I trusting in? Especially when you hit in a difficulty. 
What right now am I tempted to trust in? What am I tempted to look to to deliver me? Where do I tend to direct my hope when those troubles come as my citadel and my comfort? To whom or what do I really look to to be my anchor in those times? And specifically, this, is, this was really helpful. Scott Young and I, and I had a really great conversation Monday. And as we were talking, he, said, he was talking about this idea that really caught my eye, my ear, that they're the things that when trouble comes that I, I look to and then I run to them and then I cling to them. So I think that's part of the question. Like when trouble comes, what do I, what do I look to? And then what do I run to? And then when I get there, what do I cling to? That was really helpful for me. You guys, any, you guys ever, anybody play the, the game Rook? I see one, a few, okay. Lunch afterwards somewhere, I don't know, McDonald's and have a game. Pat and I, all through seminary, we had a couple we played Rook with every week, every Saturday. It was so fun and awesome. Uh, they were from North Carolina. And the wife, everything she said, all one-syllable words became two-syllable words. So sick was sayek, and pat was payat, and, but they were so fun. Um, but in the game of rook, you'll, you'll, you'll decide a trump, which is the color that trumps all the others. It's pretty common, similar to a lot of other games. And then, you know, the one is the most powerful, so the ones are really important. So trump is big, so if trump's green, that's big. The one is really big. The other ones are very powerful, but then there's this card, the rook, and the rook is the thing that can trump anything. It's the thing that can trump anything. And here's, so here's a way to think about this. The next time you get in a place of trouble, ask the question, what is my rook? What's the thing that I really look to, that I run to, that I cling to, to trump this problem in my life? and then repent of that rook card, that functional idol. Say, Lord, I repent of this, this trump that I run to. But repenting, that's, that's just the first part. The next is to believe, to place my trust, to rely upon God. And in a minute, I want to talk about what that looks like. But I can tell you personally, if a raging storm were to enter my life tomorrow, my first response would be to put my functional trust in myself. That's my rook. And then I've got my ones, my go-tos, and my trumps that I'm going to run to. But tomorrow, my initial reaction, and I think this is part of being human, so it's not that it's wrong, I don't think, but my initial reaction is to run to my trump. Um... Start figuring out my strategies. That's my trump color, and then my really go-tos are my ones that are going to try to defeat this thing. But since I have really been wrestling with this concept of functional idols in my life, here is what I got to practice this fall, more than once, actually, where I entered a time of trouble, and I had that initial thing of going in here to figure it out. And what I did is I stopped, and I said, that's my rook. I've learned that. I've learned that my rook is go to myself, and then I know what my strategies are that I tend to run to and my go-to people. And so I stopped and I said, I'm not going to let that be my rook. I'm not going to let that be my rook. And I said, Lord, forgive me for always turning to me in trouble. And then secondarily, other things, and then you're always kind of the last straw. When nothing works, I'll come begging you for help, right? And then what I did, what I'm learning 
is to, to repent of that and say, forgive me. And then I say, God, I am intentionally going to make you the rook of my life right now. I'm going to put my hope and my trust in you. I'm going to acknowledge that you're my only anchor. You're my only shield. You're my deliverer. And I want to I put my hope in you. Here's what that looks like. I believe and I make him the rook by intentionally and consciously after that initial look to me and I repent of that one and then I pull out the God card and I I intentionally, I look to him, God, I want to look to you and I intentionally run to him and I intentionally cling to him. It's very conscious. Stephanie, is Stephanie in here? Stephanie Metzger? Oh, the Metzger's here. There is. Stephanie, you were talking to me yesterday about how Satan works in our mind and the need to bring thoughts captive, this, this really goes along with that. So here's how I do it. First, I look to him. I consciously, intentionally, I refocus, I reorient, I redirect my attention to him. I turn my attention to him. Second, I run to him. I do this by opening his word. The Psalms are a great place. So I run to him, I open his word, and I go to those truths the ground me in the reality of who he is. And I turn, by turning to the word, I remind myself of his claims and that he's the rook. And then I review those promises. This is how I cling to him. Because it's never a one time in the word thing fixes it, right? Um, I, I, I reassert those things. I reassert my hope. I reclaim those biblical truths. I repeat them to myself. And I continue to review and repeat those things as often as needed sometimes daily, many times hourly. And it's by doing this that I renew my trust in Him. So to cling to God means I'm intentionally knowing Scripture and reorienting my mind and heart towards those Scripture, allowing them to move me away from my reliance on my functional idols. And you can do this by memorizing Scripture. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. So you memorize Scripture. You meditate on those things. I think worship songs are a great way to intentionally make God the rook of my heart. I mean, the song we sang this morning, that, the last song we did, Cornerstone, so f- perfectly fit this. So we sing worship songs, um, Lord, I need you, that help redirect us to Him. I think we stay really tightly connected to community, the people who help remind us of those truths. I have to do this consciously and intentionally. It doesn't happen by accident. So I want you to, would you guys practice this with me? Can we do one together? Let's imagine I've run into difficulty. Fear begins to rise up. I first make the turn into me. And I'm like, God, that's my, that's my normal rook. I'm not going to go there. I lay that down and I give that to you. I want to intentionally make you the rook of my life, the thing that I turn to. So I'm going to choose that right now. Oh, there. I forgot I had rook pictures. Yeah, you're like, what is this thing he's talking about? That's what rook looks like. Psalm 42.5. In a minute, I'm going to have you read some of these with me. This is a good starting point. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed in, you? in me? Put your hope in God. Then I intentionally look to Him. This is a great, great scripture. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. I will lift my eyes to the mountains. I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then I run to Him. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a fortified, it's a strong tower, that's how I learned it, a strong tower. The righteous run to Him and are safe. Psalm 27, 8, in this running to Him, my heart 
says of you, seek His face. And I say, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will seek. And then I cling to Him. Psalm 63, 8. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. So consciously do that. And then I just, there's some passages that are just key passages that help root me in that and help me to cling. Would you stand with me? And I would like you to, to read these with me. Psalm 27, 1 and 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Psalm 46, 1 to 2. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Psalm 62, 1 to 2. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock, my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken, never be shaken. Psalm 62, 5 to 7, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Psalm 28, 7 to 8, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise Him. The Lord is the strength of His people, a fortress of salvation for His anointed one. Isaiah 26, 3 to 4, one of Pat's favorite verses. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord Himself, is the rock eternal. In Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This insert that's, I don't know what this color is called. Manila, vanilla, I don't know, Uh, has these and other scripture. So when you run into trouble, that they can help orient you to Him, to look to Him, to run to Him, to cling to Him. And then some of these scriptures to review and to go over and over, to let God, let God be your citadel and Him to be your comfort. Do you mind standing for just another minute? Can you do that? Are we good? Can I just say a couple of quick things? Just because God is my citadel, my primary, it doesn't mean I don't go to other things or places for help, right? It doesn't mean I, don't, I can't strategize, but what it means is, is He needs to be my primary. He's the first thing I go to. He's the first one I ask help for. He's the first one I ask wisdom for. Scott Waters used to, I talked to him about problems, and Scott's first response to me was always, I wonder what God would say to that, and then he would stop and we would pray. 
because that was his rook. That was his first response. And then I just keep grounding myself in this. Um, and this takes time, okay? It's not easy at first, but as you, as you live in Him and focus on Him and as you see Him consistently deliver you through things and be your comfort, this gets easier over time. So if you're younger, don't be discouraged. It just takes a lot of time. Okay. I'm going to end with a scripture and then I'm going to take a really huge personal risk. Would you read with me? Because this is my heart's desire is to be like David. And in Psalm 94, 2, this is what he says. Would you read it with me? The Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. Wouldn't you like to be there to where you can say, He has become my refuge? And then would you read Psalm 40, verse 4? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. And now, my big risk. Uh, would you sing this with me? Okay, I'm not going to start it off well, so you guys need to sing loud to overcome me, okay? Jonathan's going to turn me down, but uh, as soon as I start, I should get Ashley up here, but I'm going to give it a shot. Lord, I come. Am I too high? I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You are the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I God's people said. So may we be people in this community who live with God being our rook in times of trouble, that they can see in us that we are a people who have an anchor that they don't have, a citadel to turn to, a place of comfort that is superhuman and supernatural so that they can see Jesus in us. May we be that kind of people. So in that regard, with your rook in your pocket, you are sent this week.